Greg. Good to be on another little catch-up call here talking about what we're doing to move the needle. Yes, sir. How's it going, Jason? It's going well. I, I'm actually curious. Uh, we we don't do a lot of preparation before we get on these calls because I think that's part of the fun of it is just to see where it goes. You're not counting the six seconds that we say, all right, you ready? <laughs> all right, yes, I'm ready. Yeah, okay, yeah. go. Yeah. Spoiler alert, a <laughs> lot of production. This is this is just like Reply All or any of your favorite podcasts. So much production goes into it. Um, but I know that you have two other business ventures that we haven't talked about. And I'm curious which one you're going to talk about. And maybe if we're going to talk about both on this call, because oh. um, I have actually trimmed down a lot of my business stuff. So I think I really only have one other thing that I, you know, I'm actually consciously thinking of right now. Um, and it's, it's actually a couple things, but um, uh, yeah, I'll be curious to see what did you plan on talking about today? I'm curious to know what the two are. <laughs> <laughs> so, so from my side, at least what we talk about and have talked about for years is Youngblood Coffee, oh, sure. which is a coffee shop that you have um, part ownership in and have helped. And, and that I think is a, a really cool story because it's like a retail thing. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then just in general, kind of like real estate dealings. Okay. So business, real estate stuff. So those are the two that I think, are there, am I missing other ones too? No, I think we're on the same page. So that's good to know. I was wondering if I started a business I wasn't aware of or something. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's weirder than only ornaments, which we talked about last episode. And if yes. you've just started here, you got to go listen to last episode before <laughs> this one. Um, cool. Yeah. So for me, I'm going to talk about, I think I'm just going to kind of lump the majority of like the ancillary stuff that I have going on. And mostly that's like online courses and random other things. Like I have, I have a book coming out in the fall, but I also have another book that still sells some. And I just thought I would touch on some of that yeah, stuff. Yeah, definitely. Um, kind of, kind of like as a, a lump sum, but then I have, we have one online course, Caroline, my wife and I, um, and it's really her course, but I'm kind of managing the marketing of it. And we're actually trying to use Facebook ads consistently for the first time. Mm-hmm. Um, I've, I've dabbled in it before many times, uh, I even used it recently. And I say I used it, I always hire someone to use it because I just don't want to get into the weeds of Facebook. And I think you so much, you and I relate so much on that yes. where it's like, I see an opportunity for something, but like, I don't want to be the person that goes in and has to figure it all out and do it. Um, it just also because I have too many other things going on. Like if it was my only thing, I would probably figure it out. But so I wanted to, uh, yeah, I want to kind of talk about all those things. Um, but why don't we start with, why don't we start with you and, uh, you know, choose your own adventure here. Do you want to go kind of business real estate stuff or do you want to go young blood coffee? Well, I think I'll do similar to you in that the real estate stuff and the coffee, um, you know, I kind of take a back seat so I can more yeah. or less just give an update. Um, yep. and you know, what the progress report is, if you will. And then I also wanted to touch on some of the marketing stuff I'm doing for the consulting company that I run. Um, yep. Because I think that uh, much like you, I think with today's update, I think there's some interesting ways in which we're going about things maybe that are entirely different from each other that give uh, both of us unique perspectives when we talk, which is why we're doing this. Yep. Um, but now obviously with the podcast, giving the listeners that perspective as well, but quick update on young bug coffee. So that's a, you know, that was kind of one of those investments where I just fell into, mm-hmm. um, you know, literally I was living in Fargo, North Dakota. I was living downtown. There was not that much in 
the name of great food, great coffee, great restaurants in general downtown at the time. And uh, there was a small little coffee shop that opened up right around the corner from me, you know, literally, you know, I could probably get there in a minute and a half uh, from my apartment. And so I went in there one day and I was like, what is this? This is not Fargo. Um, you know, <laughs> started to get to know and befriended the owners of the coffee shop. And, you know, one thing led to another. And I was like, you know, do you guys need money or do you guys need what do you, what do you guys need to do to make sure I have good coffee every day? So basically that's the, yeah. what that became. And, uh, and, uh, you know, we just started getting to know each other, talking over time. And eventually I was approached, um, to possibly be an investor, uh, with the idea of moving from one coffee shop into more of a, uh, coffee roasting company and having other coffee shops use our coffee or other restaurants use our coffee, et cetera. And it seemed like a good opportunity for me to get involved in a, more retail, brick and mortar retail situation. So I could learn more about that. And then also they were just good people. And so I wanted to invest in them. So I am definitely a passive investor. Any progress mm -hmm. that's been made can really be attributed to them. Um, and I should take very little to no credit for progress. <laughs> so I want to make that clear that for me, it's more of a learning opportunity and a way to support them. Um, but nonetheless, it's, it's a fun investment from the standpoint that I, it's completely in an area I don't know anything about. Um, which I don't tend to do, by the way, which we can talk more about investment philosophy. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not a proponent of investing things that one does not have domain expertise in. Um, but in this case, it was, you know, low, relative low risk, um, more about I felt strongly that they had domain expertise um, and that they would do well with just some ancillary support. Um, and so that's kind of how it got kicked off and that's been going now for, boy, I don't even know, like uh, two and a half years or so, I think. Um, and, uh, you know, basically to start out, it was, let's grow this coffee shop, turn it into the best coffee shop in downtown Fargo, which of course I'm completely biased, uh, about, but I think it is the best town coffee shop in downtown Fargo. Um, and then in addition, you know, let's get the equipment we need and let's get started on, um, roasting our own beans and, uh, turning that into something pretty major across the country, starting in the Midwest. And so, this is this is the type of business where, you know, no outside capital, we're not raising money, we're not trying to be blue bottle, we're not trying to, you know, be a San Francisco coffee shop. We're trying to just do good coffee, spread it as good as we can, um, word of mouth, and then, you know, eventually end up in a place where we have a lot of coffee shops and a lot of restaurants serving our coffee, basically. And right now where we're at is we have a handful, and I think that's probably literally a handful of um, other restaurants uh, or coffee shops serving our coffee. We also bake bread um, and serve that in loaves at the local co-op, uh, but then also some of the local restaurants uh, serve our bread as well um, on their menu, whether that's toast or other things of that nature. So it's been fun to kind of see the retail side, but also the wholesale side, which is something I've been intrigued by being a part of Starbucks, which is a nonprofit that I'm a part of out of Portland, Oregon, where uh, we have a, a good portion 
of our member companies that are food and beverage companies and learning a ton mm. from them, like how they got their products in Costco or the local grocery chains or how uh, they were able to get, you know, like w we have red duck ketchup, which is now in a lot of different restaurants replacing Heinz, which is a big deal, right? You take some big mm. brand and you're able to convince restaurants to replace that big brand with your brand. So I've learned a ton being in meetings um, and listening to them share how they're going about building their brands um, from a food and beverage standpoint. So it's been fun to be on the front lines of that, if you will, um, you know, learning that for myself. So this is definitely a uh, much less an investment and much more of a fun project and a learning opportunity more than anything. And then just recently, we had one of our staff members um, who um, whom we hired, I think about, I want to say probably about a year ago, uh, didn't know anything about coffee, uh, really dove in and started to learn a lot about it. Um, and him and his wife actually just opened up their own coffee shop in a small hmm. town um, in Minnesota and um, are now serving our coffee, which is pretty awesome to see that kind of, th those are the stories that I love, right? Like the, the yeah. growth of somebody who, you know, was doing okay with their life, but didn't really have a passion, didn't really have anything they wanted to get behind, never, ever thought they would start their own business, um, you know, too complicated, too difficult, I wouldn't know where to begin, you know, et cetera, et cetera, who realized that, oh, you know what, I could do this, like me and my wife, we could, we could do this, and we can make this happen. Um, and then to be able to support them, you know, passively from afar and say, yeah, you can, and, you know, you got support to do it, go do it. And that's cool to see an employee go from an employee to a business owner, something that we talked about in the first podcast. Um, uh, that kind of stuff is fun for me. So it's, they just opened this week, this last week. Cool. So it's really cool to see them kind of kick this off and, and bring their own personality to their own, uh, cafe, right? Like, totally different than Youngblood, their own vibe. Um, he's a, you know, a musician on the side. So they've got guitars hanging that are from a local uh, person that makes guitars, electric guitars. And so they've got those hanging in the shop and, you know, just cool stuff like that. So that's been a hell of a lot of fun. What's the name of that coffee shop? Uh, off the top of my head, you're going to challenge me. I don't know. <laughs> All right. If uh, you... It's in Battle Creek, Minnesota, though. Little small town. Oh, cool. shoot. Name escapes right, well, me at the moment. If it, come... if it comes to you while I ask you, because I have a bunch of questions, yeah, uh, we can, we can you know, circle back on it. I just think it'd be fun, too, if people checked it out. Uh, okay, so a lot of questions here, mostly because I don't... I mean, I know I've asked you some of these questions in the past, but I, I can't recall the answers immediately. Plus, it's also just fun to ask each other questions about these businesses. Uh, how long between the time that you stepped foot in Youngblood as a customer of a new coffee shop until you handed them a check for however much amount of money you handed them, if you want to say how much that was? Yeah, I gave them $20,000. Okay. Um, you know, so not a ton of money, but enough for a coffee shop. That's For a can, small coffee shop that was making how much money? At the time? Mm, probably, this is a total guess off the top of my head, but probably like 6000 a month, maybe. Okay, yeah. So, so, it's, so, so for it's them, it, 
Yeah, and that, that six thousand a month was probably pretty break even for them. So Correct. having a chunk of cash really gave them a lot more leverage than they had ever had because they were probably very much like month to month business, as a lot of retail business tends to be when you're just sure. B to C, right? That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And 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 that was kind of my point from an investment side was so it was about a year to answer your other question. I think it was about a year of me going in there literally every day, sometimes multiple times a day, and then sometimes staying there for hours talking to them. Right. Yeah. So it just started completely organic where I was like, you know, how are things going? Uh, when do you think you might hire your first employee? Um, how are you going to go about doing that? Because I'm just always curious, right? So all mm-hmm. those questions were just me being curious of like, how did this all come about? Why are you doing this? You know, what's your next steps? I'm just always curious. So it was about a year of us getting really close philosophically, you know, and and that's kind of how my investments work, where we just talk and talk and talk and talk and talk. And then eventually we go, you know what, we're, we're kind of on the same page about this. You know, are you looking to make a, a change, a move? Are you looking to do anything? And how might I support? And that's, and, and they came to me eventually and asked for the investment. So, um, you know, it reached a point where they were outgrowing themselves as two individuals, husband and wife, and they were considering, okay, what's our next moves? And they hired the first couple of employees. And then they were like, you know, we want to get into the roasting side and they needed, they needed the capital, not my capital wasn't enough to do that. But what my capital did was give them the leverage to go get a loan, a small business loan for the remaining capital they needed to blow it out, you know, and and to build the, get the roaster, install it, start, you know, uh, sourcing beans, that sort of thing. Yeah. I was just going to ask you because $20,000, well, and actually there's two questions about the $20,000. I think the first one's a quicker answer than the second one. So I'll ask you that one first. I think for a lot of people, when you hear someone say, I gave a business $20,000 for some people that can feel like a shitload of money. And for some people that can feel like Almost nothing. And I say that from in a, like a someone being a potential investor side where they yeah. go $20,000, you know, that would mean nothing in my portfolio of investments. But for some people, you know, like if I and I've, I've done a couple small things like that in, in the past and it's been a lot of money for me. I mean, I just I don't have a pool sure. of money to invest. So if I do that, I have to be really you know serious about it or I have to really care or, you know, it's got to be something that I'm passionate about for you or, you know, like you. But I, I am curious, and I'm already making this question longer than I wanted it to be. That twenty thousand dollars was that something for you where it felt like, you know, oh, this is a sizable amount of money. Like I'm, I'm gonna need to, you know, hopefully see a return on this. Or is it more, you know, if this money doesn't, you know, ever come back to me, it's not really that big of a deal. I'm just glad to be in a position where I can give them something that's going to help them. And so, and it, I guess it does relate to the second question of if they needed a bank loan why weren't you just that bank? And maybe the first part of that question answers the second part. It's both are good questions. So I, I perhaps have, uh, I don't even know how to put it, but maybe a, a unique philosophy on investing given my background. So first of all, I believe, like I don't care how much money anyone has, any money is a significant amount of money. 
And so I am not one of those that goes, ah, Jeff Bezos is worth, you know, $50 billion. If he spent, you know, if he spends $100,000 on something, that's, you know, one fraction of 1% of his wealth. That's not a big deal. No, that's a big deal. Like if you're, if you have cash, cash, you know, you can always get back. But when you, when you disperse cash, it's gone. <laughs> like, like at that moment, you don't have access to that cash any longer. So I, I am not, and that I think comes from my background of growing up very poor, right? Yeah. So I, you know, I remember one of the most vivid memories I have when I was, I think, 10 was a uh, $10 bill blowing out the window of our van as we were driving down the road and me and my mother pulling over and spending an hour <laughs> finding that $10 bill, right? And and that's that was did you, so did you critical. Find it? We did. And oh, that okay, was good. so critical that we did, right? So I remember uh, breakdancing, you know, in the parking lot at the grocery store to earn enough cash to go in and buy dinner that night. So I don't, I, I think those things shape you and, and you can't become those things. I think there's, you know, flaws in those things shaping you to the point where it, it, it uh, distorts your decision-making. You have to work through those psychological uh, experiences that you have. But if you work through them, they can still shape you in terms of how you feel about things. And for me, any amount of money is a big deal. And I mean that sincerely. Like I, I just don't go around throwing money around. So that's one thing. Number two, though, when I look at it from an investment standpoint, uh, for me, I, I'm always looking at, of course, what's what's the potential return on my money, but I'm also looking at kind of that emotional quotient that we talked about, I think, in the second episode, um, where there has to be some emotional value there for me as well, right? Is it going to cause me a lot of stress? Am I going to feel like, am I not going to sleep at night wondering what happened to my $20,000? Mm. Am I going to feel gratitude that I was able to help somebody um, in a time of need? Am I going to feel uh, uh, okay if I lose the money? You know, so I'm always checking in on my feelings about it so that I know uh, kind of where my limitations are. And then I'm looking at it from a just pure mathematical standpoint. You know, what's the return? So yeah. the, the return for me is uh, threefold. It's money. It's that emotional quotient. And then it's my learning. Right. And so this kind of hit all three. So one, it gave me it, my objective was to give them twenty thousand dollars and to negotiate with them. How long will this take me to get back my original capital so that every dollar thereafter is upside? So that's how I always assess an investment. I don't necessarily assess it right away in the uh, the return, the like interest, if you will. I look at it from how many months until I get my original capital back because then it's free money. And so in my, you know, growing up uh, learning investing in my 20s, what I learned was leverage, right? And so leverage uh, allows you to play with money that's not yours. And that's what I'm always trying to do. So sometimes you have to use your own money to get to the leverage so then you can play with money that's not yours. So in this situation, it made sense for me to give them $20,000 so that we could get a total of $100,000, or I think it was $140,000, that we could make the right investments that over the course of what I'm always looking for is 36 months or less, 
I get my original capital back and preferably in 24 months or less. So if I think I can get my original capital back in 36 months or less, I will often make that investment, even if the return, the, the you know, internal rate of return is small because it's free at that point. So who cares, mm-hmm. right? right? So so if I make 3%, quote unquote, every year, but I got my original capital back, well, 3% is 3%. So yeah. why, why, why not take that? You know, it's yeah. free money. Right at that point. So, so that's how I looked at this investment as we sat down and I said, okay, if I give you this money, what do you project out? And of course, projections can be bullshit and you're making stuff up when you're doing it. But, you know, I've been around the block enough times to know, is this realistic? Could we really make this happen? What would have to happen for us to make this happen? And I determined that I would get my original capital back within three years. And I wrote that into the contract, right? So when we do, um, capital reimbursements, when we do capital outlays to the owners, you know, so I am technically an owner of that business. Um, And when we do capital outlays, we split the cash 50-50 until my investment is returned in full. So I don't get just the capital back based on the percentage of ownership I have. I get it 50-50 until my original capital is back. Once my original capital is back, then I get it at the percentage of ownership that I have, which is, uh, I want to say off the top of my head, 16%. Mm-hmm. So I own 16% of the business, but I get 50% of the money, right? And that's that was my stipulation for the investment. So within two to three years, I'll get all my money back. Every time we do um, a return, you know, at the end of the year, when we do taxes, et cetera, we feel like it's safe to provide a return. I get 50-50 split, then eventually, you know, it'll go back down to 16%. So it's not so much like a straight, I've learned so much from so many great people in my early 20s and mid-20s that I learned things like that, right? So I don't think most people think about an investment in terms of how many months it takes to get their original capital back and that then they're playing with free money. And I also don't think they think to build in certain stipulations in the contract that protects them, right? And that's a good example of protection there where if I only got 16% of my money back every time we did a capital call, um, you know, I wouldn't, it would take a lot longer to get my money back. But I said, hey, I'm happy to give this to you, but I need 50% of the profits every single time mm-hmm. until until we get the money back. So, um, you know, that's kind of how I, I looked at that from an investment standpoint. And of course, for me, it was, you know, $20,000 put skin in the game for me, but not too much. They had to go get a loan for the remainder. So I got to see, so if a bank is willing to give them the other 80% of the money, how much safer is my money? Right. Right. So, so it put it, my stipulation was, yeah, I'll give you this $20,000 if a bank is willing to loan you the under other 120,000. Right. So that again, protected me because a bank is going to be very sophisticated in how they look at it. At least they should be, um, if it's not 2007 (laughs) and, uh, you know, they're going to scrutinize them and the business in ways that perhaps I might not, and perhaps I'm too emotionally involved, you know, so they kind of are my due diligence. I I still do my own due diligence, but they are a backup due diligence where, okay, so a bank is willing to give you 120,000. So I'll give you 20. 
yeah. right? So, so that protection helped me as well, where I thought, okay, this is a pretty safe bet, if you will. Now, the final thing I'll say is on that, always be willing to lose all your money. Right. Right. And you just have to go into every investment, whether you're investing with a family member, a friend, a stranger, yourself, doesn't matter. You have to feel okay losing the whole damn thing. And that is super important because that ultimately gives me the freedom to say, all right, can I feel okay moving forward if I never get a dollar back? Yeah, I can. Okay, well, then I'll do this deal. Yeah, and I've had I've had two deals that have fizzled out to nothing. Like I think you know one business is still kind of going, but it's like a side hustle for someone. And I just wanted to support them. They were an artist, and I was like, yeah, you know, I think it was like seventy five hundred bucks. Like this would mean something to you at the time. It wasn't a big deal for me, and I just it was one of those things where it was actually less of like an investment, and it was more of a you need help and I can help you and I believe in you. And so it's kind of like a gift almost, you know? And yeah. if it's for some reason comes back to me, that's great. And then I did have another one that was in a, a, a food, a, actually a small granola company and they went under and, you know, it just, it, I wanted to support them as well. And, and it's just like you said, when I made those investments, it was very, it was a much easier decision for me because I didn't have to have that money. And if that money went away, sure, it's not fun, but it's also one of those things where it's like, I know that this money could not come back to me, so it's okay. And I, I think right. that that to me is one of the lessons that only really comes with experience in investing. And you can only know how not terrible that feels until it actually happens to you. And then you go, mm -hmm. oh, it wasn't that bad it, because also it's not like you give them $10,000 today and then tomorrow they go out of business. Like it's sure. never that fast. So right. it's usually a year or two down the road and they've tried and they've worked and they've done, you know, and you've watched them and you've gone, you know, Hey, uh, this didn't work out. And I'm, you know, I'm, I'm more bummed for you that your business that you were running didn't pan out and like your dream didn't come true, but it's going to lead to something else. And like, it, it was just kind of cool to be a part of that. Um, you know what, you know what I think though gives you, uh, or at least for me and for others that I've talked to about this, gives you that uh, that sense of ease about that. You know, no one wants to lose $7,500 or $20,000, yeah. right? Right. So, but what I think gives you a sense of ease about it, first of all, you see how hard that person exactly. works, right? No one feels worse than that person, yep. right? So, so you, you just kind of have that sense of human humanity about it where it's like, man, I feel for them. Like I didn't get my money back and I feel for them, Yeah, you know? Yeah. So that's one thing. But the second thing is that I think is important that makes it a, a clear distinction is you and I know that we're going to create more money. Yeah. So that's a big deal because when you have a job and there's a cap on how much money you can make for the hours that you're working, you don't feel that way, right? So, so it's almost like you're going to earn a finite amount of money over your career. And if you give it away and somebody else doesn't give it back to you or mm -hmm. doesn't give it back to you with a return, that feels like a much more significant loss. So you have to be, you know, in a position where you really strongly feel like you're just going to make that back anyway. Yeah. And, and, yeah. and jobs generally don't give you that flexibility. Yeah. I do think that there is something to be said for because, you know, I remember my short time in the corporate world. I made more money than I needed 
in a very small amount, right? So let me let me actually quantify this. I made $55,000 a year as a designer, but my expenses in life, I, I lived in a condo that my parents owned. I was very fortunate. Uh, I ate just like crappy processed food all the time, which really wasn't that expensive. Like I literally lived off of ramen noodles because I enjoyed them, not because it's like the startup story where that's all you can afford. So I had, you know, no expenses. Uh, I think my my biggest thing was a car payment. I really didn't spend money on anything else. And I lived like three miles away from my job. So for me, that was actually one of the first times where I realized, you know what, I could, I'll put money in the 401k and like do all the matching crap that a job does. And that's fine. But I have no, I have literally no control over that money. Absolutely none. And I learned this really early on. I was like, well, I'm making, you know, $5,000 a month or $6,000 a month, whatever it was. And, or $4,000 a month. And I can probably carve out like 500 or a thousand of this money and not put it in a super safe investment and actually put it off to the side as like something that I could do something else with where there's a much larger potential return. And that was the first time where I actually just stumbled into that. No one told me that. I just was so bored with the idea of like a 401k and like all this stuff that I had no control over. And it it was this realization for me when, you know, we just talk about this, like kind of how we see the world differently, where I was like, why not just take like $500 a month and be able to then use that somewhere else? And that became when I had the cushion to leave to start my first design company was that I was squirreling away this money and I invested in myself, just like you just mentioned. Like that money that I had saved up, I had a buffer of like $12,000 eventually when we finally left and started our design company. And my, my personal runway, you know, that was six months of money for me. And yeah. so I created that because I was willing to not play the safe investment game, even in a job to say, you know what, I just want to carve out a little bit because something's telling me that I could, I want control over this money in some way. And, and I do think that that is an interesting part of people who don't work for themselves, who do work for other people, is that you actually do have the ability to have some control if you're not living paycheck to paycheck. And I do know that that's also a privilege, right? Like it's a huge privilege for me that I had a place that was paid for, that a job that paid me well, that, you know, I I just didn't have dependence and none of that stuff. And I totally realized that, which is why I made the decisions that I did. And and so I think for, for some people who might be listening to this that are in a place of privilege like I was is to really start rethinking some of the decisions that you're you're making with your money even if it's small decisions cuz a couple hundred bucks here and there a month it adds up over time especially if you're going to be at a job you're planning at being a job for a long time now if you can't do that if you don't have that privilege obviously this is a whole different topic um but i think that it is just something to realize that y- in in many cases you do have some control you just don't think you do because you're not thinking kind of in that way well, I think there's multiple factors there, um, and I'm glad you you know talked about the privilege side of it because, of course, that's a big factor, right? If you're married, right. if you have children, if you you know if you have other people you have to care for, if you have an older sick parent, if you've had health issues, there's a million reasons why that's really tough, or at least psychologically tough. Mm-hmm. You know, where where you kind of get caught in the I better be safe, I better protect my investment, you know, that sort of thing. 
And also, if you really believe you're going to stay working right. for the majority of your career, with, you know, you also have to have something at the end of that. You have to have something to show for at the end of that. So you have to be careful about, quote unquote, how much risk you're taking right. in those cases. I think one of the keys for me has been that if I could, if I could change anything about looking back on things, it's when you have to recognize in the moment when you have privilege, yeah, right? So, so the hard part is to know, oh, this is a time in which I'm actually in a position where I can take this risk and it's possible 10 years from now, I won't be able to, right? So, and that's hard to do in the moment because you're just living your life. So, you know, and I think that's why we do things like this podcast, right? Like we, we want to encourage people to at least look at things differently. Yeah. Maybe you decide that's not for you. Maybe you decide you can't take those risks, whatever it might be, but at least if somebody can kind of uh, make you aware in the moment that, whoa, oh, this might be my moment, you know, yep. that's kind of a big deal. And, you know, a lot of that doesn't come without hindsight or good people in your life to point that out to you. Yeah, I think we could probably have a whole discussion because uh, I, I do want to continue to get through. I have questions about Youngblood still and then obviously some other business stuff for me and then, you know, all this stuff. But I'm going to make a note for us to talk uh, a little bit about living for today and saving for tomorrow, which I think is sure an interesting mindset that I've never really explored in a concise conversation. And I think you very much have some unique perspective on this with health <laughs> issues where yeah. you literally don't know how much longer you're going to be alive at certain times. And I know for people living, listening to this, that might be morbid, but I think we've, I've earned <laughs> the ability to say that to you over the years because yeah. there are times that we've talked when you've been really sick and I've just been like, hey man, just sack up, like take an Advil and stop whining about it. You know, like <laughs> it's just kidney failure. You're going to be fine. You, you, you know, uh, but anyway, uh, I'm going to make a note to, uh, to do that. So, uh, live for today, save for tomorrow. Because I think that would just be a fun whole separate sure. discussion. Uh, okay, a couple more questions before we transition away from Youngblood. Yeah. Uh, so just to recap on the questions that I did ask you. So it was about a year. Um, you invested for a couple different reasons, not just the financial return, which is cool, um, because that does also give you some... I, I think investing where you get a return that's not just financial is for a lot of people, that's a fun way to invest because yes. you get something more than money can give you in a lot of respects. And and that's hard to come by in certain instances of life. Um, okay, but I don't mm -hmm. want to stay on that because I have questions. So I know that they redid the space of Youngblood, mm -hmm. the actual shop mm -hmm. itself. Mm -hmm. Did you have any part in that? Because I think you did, or at least in just in general conversations about it. Yeah, so we actually moved into a new space. So part of... Um, us, you know, them getting the money from me. And then, uh, you know, I helped them work on the business plan to get the loan, uh, made some suggestions about how to get loans, because I learned that, as you know, in the first episode, yep. way back in my early 20s, um, with the very first business, you know, real job I had. So, uh, and then, you know, ongoing over the years since then. So my big contribution at the beginning was, you know, not only here's the capital, here's how to get the other capital that you need. So we got that capital. And the idea was, is we wanted to move into, there's a brand new building downtown two blocks over, and we wanted to move into that building. It was a better location. Uh, it was a brand new building. Uh, and we could build, it was uh, three times as large. The space was three times as large as the original space we were in. So we moved into there um, to build out kind of a cornerstone cafe that kind of gave us the clout 
to then say, we're on the map here, right? So it wasn't just this kind of hole in the wall start. Um, it was like, wow, this is a beautiful coffee shop, et cetera. So I did um, give them, you know, my feedback on design and aesthetic and things of that nature. But again, I want to make it clear, both of them are extremely talented. They've both been in the coffee business for a long time. They were the drivers of all of that. I just kind of added my input here or there um, as we were building. So, you know, we built out this beautiful coffee shop that's all custom, custom wood, custom iron, everything is custom made, uh, gorgeous facility. And we got the, um, um, uh, what am I thinking of the roaster? Mm -hmm. And we installed that in the, you know, front of the shop so people could smell the beans and watch us roast. And, you know, so it, it was really well thought out and designed. Okay. Um, that leads me into, have you guys ever had a disagreement on anything? Because obviously you're in this relationship as more of a passive yeah. investor, like you're giving feedback in here. But I'm curious, has there been anything where you have butted heads with them? Uh, thankfully, no. So, and that's mostly because I give them the autonomy. Like I'm not here to be a decision maker. I'm here to be a supporter and somebody to lean on when you have unanswered questions. And also I know my domain and they know theirs. So what's mm -hmm. made it a good partnership is they know coffee, they know coffee shops and they know coffee roasting. I know business, yep. I know finance, I know accounting, I know operations and I know recruiting and hiring. So we complement each other well, mm -hmm. where it's like, hey, we need to recruit and hire. Do you have thoughts on that? Well, here are my thoughts, right? So what they don't do is go, hey, we're going to uh, roast five different beans. Do you have <laughs> thoughts on that? Yeah. And I go, yeah, here's my thoughts on how to roast five different beans. You know, yeah. I just stay out of the way. Yeah. So, so we have not had those disagreements. And also, like, I have my own personal taste but I, I'm not here to interfere with my own personal taste, right? So mm -hmm. certainly there's things they've done that I wouldn't have done, right? So that's just not my style. That's not the way I would have done it. I think when you when you invest, when you become a good investor, good investors just stay out of the way. Like that that's their that's their number one job. And I've learned that, you know, because I've raised a lot of capital as well over the years. I've raised over a hundred hundred million dollars in total capital. And through that process, I've learned a lot about investors, right? I've learned a lot about investors will give you like, you know, five hundred thousand dollars and talk to you twice a year, and investors will give you a hundred, you know, hundred bucks and want to know yeah. every damn detail yeah. and annoy the hell out of you. Right. So yeah. so I've been on the other side of it too. So I've come to reach a place where I know what I'm good at and I know what you're good at and I'm not going to interfere with you um, yeah. if it's your domain. Yeah. And I, I, yeah. That was kind of a, a soft pitch there because uh, I had an idea of what that answer would be, but I, I was curious to hear about it. Uh, okay. My last question about Youngblood. And this one is just, I think, super interesting as it relates to what I'm going to talk about next, which is there's basically no website for Youngblood. Like there's no, no. internet marketing. There's no, no anything else. And I'm really curious in a time where any business idea anyone thinks about these days, you almost immediately go, okay, I got to go grab my social handles. I got to build a website. <laughs> yeah, I got to do all these things. But a retail coffee location that's trying to probably, I, this is just my guess, is that the wholesale side of the business is probably like 
like the wholesale business is going to make 80% of the revenue eventually, if not already trending in that direction, uh, because that's where you're going to make the bulk of the money, right? Like a retail store, you can only sell so many cups of coffee mm-hmm. per hour. Um, so yeah, I'm so, curious. So there's a couple, there's a couple of answers there, um, which I, I think we should, uh, I'll give you the kind of cursory view. And then again, I think that's a topic we should revisit because yep. I am very curious about your thoughts on that as well. Um, given how heavy you've utilized a lot of the stuff, uh, online websites, you know, SEO, whatever it might be. Yep. Um, because I think there's a, a, a dichotomy there between you and I that is very fascinating to me. Um, but, but the, but the cursory answer to your question specific to Youngblood is a couple fold. Number one, uh, that's who they are. So they are um, kind of two individuals that don't want to play the corporate game, uh, don't want to be flashy and showy, um, want to build something organic and raw. And that's part of what attracted me to them was Mm. I just felt like, you know, these guys are really going to make this happen one way or another. And they're just kind of not going to play the game that people think they have to play to do it. Now, that can be dangerous. I feel like if you're not super talented and very skilled at the craft of what you're building, it's very hard to do that game, right? Yeah. Um, especially in a commodity business like coffee, right? Where likely there's another coffee shop just down the road, right? Second thing is, is this is a small, 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 small town, right? So you have a lot of advantages to not play those games. You are not competing versus very many people in a retail space like this. And if your product is good, you're really not competing against anybody, right? So if you put more of your time and effort into the product, you don't have you can spend less and less of your time doing marketing and advertising in a place like this. And that's what I think is often overlooked in small towns. When I traveled around the country, went to all 50 states, et cetera, I was talking to people that had great ideas and they wouldn't do it. And I'm like, man, do you understand? Like, you're not, you don't live in a big town. Like you have every advantage in the world to do this. People will come to you, you know, they don't have other options. Yeah. So, so that was a big deal for us is now there's other coffee shops. Sure. And they get good business, but we were just so unique and different that we attracted a certain crowd and our coffee was so great. We attracted a certain crowd without all that. So part of it is their personality. That's how they want to run things. And, you know, I, buy, interestingly enough, just so you know, I ended up buying all the domains, right? So oh, nice. I was like, you know what? I'm just going to go ahead and buy these. If one day we want to use these, let's use them. But I want to protect those assets just in case. Yep. Uh, but, you know, they're just not interested. They're not at that level. They don't need to. We do fine without it. Um, and, and, and actually, that counterculture has actually helped us in many mm. ways, which is the final thing I want to say, which is like, if you do it right and you're, and you're authentic to it, you know, like they're not doing this as a strategy. It's just yeah, who it's they not, are. Yeah, it's not like avant-garde. So, where yeah, they're like, exactly. oh yeah, we don't have a website. We're ethereal, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. They're not doing it like that. They just have no interest in having a website. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, and 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 so they, because of that, it actually works to our advantage for the right crowd, you know, attracting the right crowd. And then the final thing I'll just add to that, just so you're aware, I would say we're probably actually reversed right now. So probably 80% is retail and 20% right. is wholesale right now. And my point but was- But you did, are right. Yeah. That is the direction that we want to go. But interestingly enough, you actually need the website and some other assets like that for the wholesale side. 
less well, than you do the retail because they need to think you're a legitimate business. Like the coffee shop is a coffee shop, right? It's two blocks yeah. away from you. It's on your way to work. So you see it tangibly every day. If we're trying to wholesale beans to somebody in a state over, yep. they don't have any assets to look at that says you guys are legitimate. And a website you know, can kind of fake that for you. Yep. Yeah, there's so much to be said for first impressions and how you can create those. Mm. So a coffee shop, when you're walking by it, it needs to look interesting. It needs to stand out. It needs to have some type of visual interest that pulls you in or a smell that pulls you in, you know, those types of things. And so that's the first impression of like a physical retail store. But the first impression for a lot of people's businesses that start online or that they're trying to create more business via the internet where they can't on a you know storefront style business you need that first impression to be great online Absolutely. and and so if the goal for young blood is obviously to grow the wholesale side this is a, a, to me this is a perfect example of you can only sell so many coffee cups per hour in a retail store in that you can only make so many phone calls and visits to local businesses and other people per hour in your own sweat equity, as opposed yeah. to having a website that does this work for you. And it's not going to do it as, uh, you know, humanistically as possible, which isn't even a word, but I think you get the point of that where you're not having the phone call, you're not having the in-person meeting, you know, there's not that relationship. However, if a coffee company or a, let's say like a hotel or whatever in Kansas City is looking for cool, unique, not well-known coffee uh, and they stumble across Youngblood's website and the whole story on the front page is, hey, we do have a retail shop in Fargo, but what you're here for is to buy our wholesale coffee. Here's the story of how we do that. Here's how our coffee's different. Here's the cuppings that we do every week to make sure we're, you know, picking the Ethiopia beans and we do geishas once a month. And, you know, like I'm a coffee nerd, so I, I appreciate all that and I understand it. And so I do think that it's just a really good example of that first impression isn't great right now, but it doesn't have to be. And it's room for improvement when you're ready for that room for improvement. It's well, so there's a couple of things there that I think I would like to to like marker for us to have this conversation separately. Because as you were saying that, I was thinking, mm, I'm not so sure. Hmm. And so I think that's an interesting place for us to explore. Sure. Uh, because that's, of course, you know, I think such a learning opportunity. Because in my experience, you know, even going back to the uh, surgeon that we talked about in episode two that I'm working with and other, um, you know, healthcare practices that I've worked with, et cetera. My experience tells me that most of the people that work in those places don't go looking. Hmm. It comes to them. And when they do go looking, they don't randomly look. They go to people they trust and get a reference. Makes sense. And, and so I actually think there's less, and, and I want to challenge this thought because I think this has been a thought of mine for a long time, and I'm not sure that it's accurate. Uh, but in my experience, I think that there's less kind of, let me Google you know, specialty coffee and see who's out there versus, oh, somebody walked into our place the other day, gave us a free bag of beans and said that they uh, can stock our rooms with this. Uh, maybe we should explore that. I, I think there's more of that, the second, than the first. And then I think there's, hey, you know, we need better beans because the beans we have are crap. Um, you know, who do you know who's serving good coffee? Go talk to them. Yep. And I think there's more of that. So I am curious though, am I, 
I, am I maybe wrong or maybe you need to do it all? I'm not sure, you know, uh, so we can table that, but yeah. I, I think it's interesting because our approach has been, no, no, get the right people on board at the beginning. They will do the work for us, right? So if we can say X restaurant serves our co- coffee, you should too, that ends up being far more powerful than investing that time and energy into, say, SEO and a beautifully written website, per- perhaps. I don't yeah. know. Yeah, no, I, I, I totally agree with you, though, on the, I think less people are searching for it than you can probably make an impact with right away. I think it's a good compliment, and it's a great thing to do now, two and a half years later, when... Mm the wholesale business is part that you're trying to grow. And so then the website becomes a complementary to all the in-person things, all the trust building things, all of the relationship things uh, where someone can, can just have an easy way to go check because what you don't know, and this is where I think a lot of business owners, it's just important to kind of cover your ass is it's like an insurance policy, like having mm. a great website. And I'm not saying a website you have to constantly update, but just like a great website that tells the story. Well, it's an insurance policy. If someone goes and Googles you and goes to the website and sees, and again, I'm not trying to like beat, beat up the Youngblood website or anything at all. I'm just giving an example but they see something that's under construction or not complete or whatever, it may just have them rethink making a purchase as opposed to if you have a website that's built and tells the story, it's just like an immediate check of a box for those that's people. That's a good point. That's and so it, point. It, and it, it's, it, there's a push-pull strategy here, right? Like I, I think that that's so much sure. too of sure. a B2C business that's a little bit also B2B and that's trying to transit. And so it, I think it will be fun to continue the conversation about Youngblood because I are, I immediately have some thoughts of what to do, but it, hearing the way that you've seen it actually work, it's like, okay, well, let's just try and amplify how it's worked, but then also just complement with having mm-hmm. a great story being told on a website where you just do that one time and then that's basically it. And you you right. do tell the stories of the restaurants you work with and the hotels and those things and you don't have to do anything else. Yeah, uh, no, that makes a lot of sense. Cool. So shall we transition? Yeah, let's do that. Uh, we, we spent a lot more time than I thought we would on Youngblood, and we yeah. didn't even talk about business real estate stuff. <laughs> we'll get to that later. Yeah, okay. So again, I think part of these these episodes is we're not trying to keep it within any length. We're just kind of you know sharing these ideas, and especially these first ones are going to be a lot more front-loaded. Um, all right, so I would like to chat with you about all these online courses that Caroline, my wife, and I have had for years. And the reason why we only have a couple that are left for sale is because we just got tired of managing all of the things. You know, all Mm -hmm. of them become their own little individual business with their own customers, their own assets that you have to manage. Um, And and it just, it becomes a lot of work when you have more than one that you're dealing with. So uh, at one point, Caroline and I had a combination of 12 different websites selling online courses. Wow. (laughs) Which is, you know, it's, it's not a lot in the perspective of like, you're not doing daily upkeep on these, but 12 of anything is a lot of mental effort to think about and to keep track of. And, oh, this customer bought this. And, oh, wait, what login was that? And, you know, and it's just like it's a lot of different things. So we've we've pared down a lot of them. Essentially, we have three online courses that are still up for sale publicly. Um, one is my Get Sponsorships course, which is my oldest course, the first one that I built. And then the other two are Caroline's Hand Lettering for Beginners, which is the first course she built, and then her Better Branding course. Um, and the Better Branding course is really the one that I, I want to focus on in, you know, kind of in moving forward and what we'll be moving the needle on with that one and using Facebook ads. That's what I alluded to. 
But what I think is interesting, uh, and I think you'll find this interesting, is that in the past year, and I'll even say two years, so going back to the beginning of 2017, so two and a half years, really, these courses in total have made us an average, just these three, of about fifteen dollars to $20,000 a year. And that is no effort. I mean, it, it's like something breaks, we fix it. Uh, you know, an email gets sent out. It was, sometimes we'll, we'll think about like, oh, we had a free email sign up for like Caroline's Better Branding course. We haven't emailed those people after they've gone through like the first five-day email thing. We should email them and be like, hey, you didn't, you didn't mm-hmm. buy the course. Do you want to buy it? And then you'll get some customers. And then sometimes you won't when it's been too far along. And, and that's kind mm-hmm. of where we got at this point where we're too far along. So even just in this year, um, my, my Get Sponsorships course is currently just selling as a little $50 bundle. So I went away from selling it as like a high price thing because I can't be there to support a high price ticket item. And it was a high mm-hmm. price ticket item for many years. And I just was finally like, you know what? I, I don't want to deal with it. And so I'm just going to make it a no-brainer price because online courses can just be completely arbitrarily priced, like most sure. things. Um, so I'm, I'm just it's a $50 bundle to get two courses. Um, I don't make any promises of me being there, of me being around. You know, Before, it was like, you'll be in a Facebook group and you do all this stuff and blah, blah, mm-hmm. blah. And that made it sense for it to be a higher-priced item. But now it's just, hey, you're on your own. Just learn the things that, that I can teach you via this course. And... It was selling at the beginning of this year on the pace of one per day, which wow. is pretty cool. Like $50 per day, me doing absolutely nothing was That's awesome. And, and then that trended down. And I have some assumptions about why that happens at the beginning of years. You know, I think people get the New Year's resolutions. They want to do things. They get excited. Mm-hmm. They're willing to spend a little bit of that Christmas money they got. And, and that's cool. And it, it has definitely tapered off. And now it's about one realistically about one a week is the average. And sometimes it's more than that. But that will still work out to on its own, you know, somewhere around just because the beginning of the year, close to $10,000 in itself this year. (laughs) And it's kind of crazy, right? Like it it is. That's mind blowing. It is. And it's it's just mind blowing. The thing that's really interesting to me is it's not enough money on a monthly basis to make a difference. Right. You know, in that first month it is because it's, over a thousand dollars, and so that's cool. And like, I, that's a, an amount of money. I'm like, oh, I could do something with this money. Um, but when it's like fifty dollars every week, and you're only getting two hundred dollars a month, like, what do you do with that money? Mm-hmm. Um, and so for us, actually, what we did two years ago is one of these courses. I just funneled the money into a completely separate bank account, and it became our travel account. Oh, there you go. And and so after like six months, all of a sudden we had. $2,500 or $4,000 <laughs> and we could take a trip. And it was great because when that money goes into your main business account, guess what happens? Yeah, you lose track of it and you don't yeah. do anything. But keeping it completely separate. And so it's actually, I'm, I'm thinking about it with this better branding course shift that we're going to make is to, when we get that figured out, or even if we don't, is to start trying to funnel that money off into a completely separate account again. And I can't remember why I stopped doing it. It was probably because we had 12 sites and a separate business account and like three different business accounts. I was like, I just have to, I got to condense mm-hmm. everything down. Mm-hmm. Um, so why I think this is a really interesting conversation is that the topic of passive income, it drives me insane in one hand, but it's mm-hmm. also so intriguing in another. Because for all intents and purposes... I do have passive income for a couple of these different things. And it's not money where I can stop doing everything, but it's also not 
a small amount enough of money where I want to stop doing it. Like having an extra $15,000 this year from these three courses is enough money that I should keep, you know, I should keep these things around and figure them out. So the hypothesis that we're testing is just kind of like leave the better brain or better lettering course by itself. That one's a $20 course. Um, it sells every couple of days and it's 20 bucks. So it, it's hard for that one to add up. Um, the get sponsorships bundle that I have that's 50 bucks and it's selling about once a week. That one, I'm actually starting to test some personalization stuff, which I think we should leave to a different mm-hmm. episode because I can really go down some deep rabbit holes. And mm-hmm. I actually don't, I don't know enough about how that's working right now. And I'm going to, in June, kind of like invest in learning about that because I'm going to be a little bit bullish on that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, so the third one is this better le- or better branding course. And I realize these names are kind of confusing and similar, but better branding course is this course that people have purchased since Caroline created it in 2015. And it's great. People rave about the content. It's so much more than just create a logo or create a a brand without having to know Photoshop and be a designer. While that's in there, really the core of it is understanding your brand from a standpoint of who are you? Who do you help? How do you help them? What are the things that you're selling that, that are, you know, kind of interesting for people and how can you position them correctly? And so what we're trying to do with this course is take it from, on average this year, it's made just under $500 per month. And there's a full course package at $280, which includes this like really well-designed ebook. And it's actually like a really, really nice ebook. And the, the course itself, which has videos and all the things that normal online courses have, and then just the ebook version. So we have these two different packages, if you will. Mm-hmm. And the main driving sales force of this, kind of the engine, as I've talked about in, in previous episodes, is this free email course. And this is not groundbreaking for anybody who's ever seen any online courses or whatever, but you sign up for a free email course, you know, you get a whole bunch of helpful information over the course of the first few days about the course. It's free. It costs you nothing. And then, you know, we hit you with a sales pitch at the end of it to go, hey, did this help you? Do you want more? Do you still need help? Do you want to dive deeper? Here's the course. Here's a a quick discount for a certain amount of time only because people need scarcity and urgency to buy. Like, there's just no doubt about that these days, especially when Mm -hmm. selling knowledge-based things. And and then we do nothing with those people's emails. They just kind of sit and then you can collect virtual dust. And what we realized was there are enough people signing up for the free email course on its own just, just because of Google SEO organic traffic right now. And, and that's not very many people. Actually, I should have had it pulled up here so I wouldn't have to fumble around and look. But um, I want to say it's less than 1,000 people go to the website a month, which... Okay could sound like a good amount of people to some, to other people, it may not be that much. Um, So it was in May, yeah, 1,500 people actually in May um, as of recording this, just under 1,000 people in April. So it it is about 1,000 average. And the majority of that traffic is coming from people searching things in Google. Caroline has eight articles that she wrote that she put up on the website. And the core way that this business runs is a bunch of free content on the site in the form of helpful articles that have been tweaked for SEO and, and trying to capture certain people's search results, which we've done successfully. They read that article. They see an email capture at the bottom. They want to learn more. They sign up. They get hit with some helpful info. They find it helpful. They go, oh, yeah, I want to learn more. This is the right you know frame of mind for me that I can learn from, from this person. They buy the course. And so that, that little funnel there, mm-hmm. passive income funnel works. 
And what we wanted to do was just try and pour a little bit of gasoline or plug a little bit of electricity into it, whichever uh, engine metaphor treats you right. For me, it's electricity. Um, and, and see if we can start paying X amount of dollars via Facebook ads to increase the potential return every month with with better branding cores. So we're working with a guy who's actually a Wandering Aimfully member, if you listen to the, the episode where I talked about Wandering Aimfully, where he's a member, but he does Facebook ads full-time. He's actually in Norway. He specializes in doing it just for Norwegian companies. But, you know, it's kind of like... It's the same thing anywhere. It's just a different audience and market. And so he's helping us set everything up. All I had to do was basically write the ad copy, write the headlines, send some photos of Caroline. And he's been taking it through all the different ad setups, uh, the different, you know, seeing what tweaks work, what's getting some attention. I think as of doing this, we've spent a total of like $400.00. I haven't gotten the most recent number of sales from him. When we first talked, when we'd only spent like a hundred bucks, we'd only had one sale. Mm-hmm. So it hadn't equaled out yet to a positive return. Mm-hmm. But part of the the thing that you just know with Facebook ads is you have to spend a certain amount of money to find out A, if it will work, and then B, when it does work and, and works means that people convert to buying from being in the Facebook ads, is the return enough to keep doing it? So right. are you spending... $1 to make $2 or are you spending $1 to make $5? Right. And the $1 to $2 is not a game I really want to play because at any moment, if something gets tweaked or changed, you're losing money essentially. Mm-hmm. But when you have the the kind of the bandwidth between $1 to $5, there's more wiggle room there um, to do that. So that's what we're really trying to set up. And, and our goal was actually, it's not like a never ending, oh, let's see how big we can get this. We just want this this one course to make an average of $3,000 a month. If we can get to spending whatever that is in Facebook ads to make that amount of money, plus the organic sales that we have, that would be really good for us because that's a chunk of money that can literally just go to like travel expenses only or an investment account only or you know whatever we want to do and kind of look at it as completely separate income that gets directed just toward one thing and it's not toward the whole bucket of all the things that we do. I love that philosophy that that you know funnel it for something specific. I think that concept is so helpful given how crazy our minds are about money. Yeah. You know, cuz it's just like it disappears out of your daily awareness. It's for a very specific goal so you can stay focused on it and you don't mess with it. And then you get the payoff, you know, at the other end of that. Because even if you didn't say, you know, if you only saved, I don't know, $2,000 for the year, you can still do some something, of course. you know, you can still do some sort of vacation, some sort of time off, whatever, um, you know, even a staycation, you know, it's just, it's just the concept speaks to me because that's partly what I've always done, you know, one of the most important things I learned from Rich Dad Poor Dad was the idea that you buy expenses with assets. Mm-hmm. So, so you don't use your cash to buy, uh, I'm sorry, you buy liabilities with assets. So you don't use your cash to buy liabilities. You use an asset to fuel enough cash to buy the liability, right? Yep. And that's exactly what you're doing there. You're you're not just taking your profits from your business and then saying, okay, let's use 5,000 of this to go on a vacation. You're saying, how can I use an asset to generate an extra $5,000 to go yep. on a vacation? And, and I think that's a huge, huge philosophical shift in someone's mind that I think is critical. 
and I'll completely admit, just like you said, like the mental battles that we have to fight to get through this. Like mm. we did this the right way a couple years ago where we were funneling this money off separately. And then when we kind of like blew everything up and combined it all, we mm -hmm. stopped doing that. And so when yeah. I was looking at the numbers to talk to you about this, I was like, where did that $15,000 go? You know, like <laughs> if I would have had that in an account at the end of the year, it would have been a lot more interesting, fun, you know, it, and it, would have, it wouldn't have just kind of like slithered its way through into all the other exactly. things, which money does. So that that's actually a big part of what, I'm excited about in, in doing these this call in this podcast with you is to start making some of those changes back to like those fundamentals that I stumbled into or read somewhere or however it came to me to make those changes. So I, I think it's really cool. I hope that people who are listening to this that may also have any type of side hustle, passive income product to to start doing this with it to make a com and you have to actually make a completely separate bank account. You can't do it where it's like, oh, I'll just funnel this money off every yes. week and pay attention. It does not work. We are not mentally capable of keeping up with that. Like we don't have the the willpower to do that. Um, so so that yeah. that's actually something that I've taught a lot of small business owners, by the way. And sometimes you don't have to have even a separate bank account, but you have to have like sub accounts. So right. some banks will let you set up sub accounts and then you have to have the money directly funneled into the sub account, right? So you don't ever touch it. So it yep. just goes right in there. And then, and then now you have, uh, that's one of the first things I teach uh, doctors actually, because doctors have a lot of cash and that cash can disappear really fast. So what you do is you have a separate payroll sub account, you have a separate large expenses uh, sub account, you have a separate, um, you know, you, you just start dividing those out, um, separate pay your rent. If you have rent or pay your mortgage for your office space, if you own the building account and you funnel it right from your main operating account, right into those accounts. And that has worked well for me. And I've seen it work well for so many else, so many others who, you know, we can pretend that we're going to have the willpower and mm -hmm. we can pretend like it's not going to get spent but it is. Yeah. <laughs> it just is. Yep. And, and it's fine. Like just admit that it is yep, and just set exactly. it up right. And that's 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 what I had been doing and I kind of beat myself up about it. I think the end of of 2018 sure. and I was like, god dang it, like where is this money? You know, this money just disappears. And I right. I just think it's 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 nice to be able to relate to people who have the same goals as you or have the same visions or have the same things. And they also still mess up, you know, like it's just part of the human existence that we have right. ambitions and ideas and they don't work out. Um, I know that many people who might be listening to this, who've read Profit First by Michael Malkowitz or something, I think that's his last name, something like that. Um, that was a big eye opener for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. I had just done that kind of naturally. And the, the whole idea of it is essentially you pay yourself first. So sure. you carve out profit before you pay any expenses and all those things. And um, and for a lot of business owners, that's a, a mind-blowing way of thinking. And it can be so much friction to try and mm -hmm. set something like that up once you've already been going and things are already set up and you're, you have payables and you have all these different expenses that are, that are going or, um, or you have employees and whatever. But I've naturally done that with our businesses and, and it's easier said than done in times when business isn't as profitable and you aren't generating as much revenue. Right. But I do think that just taking a principle like that where you carve this money off and put it somewhere else and, and like you said, for these doctors and, and just reframing the way that you think about it, it also, maybe not for the doctor's example, but for, for me, for this, it makes it more fun. 
Because instead of just yes. like a random money number, and it, it actually, I think, harkens back to, the, you know, you investing in Youngblood, is that it, it, that money then becomes something where you can do something and look forward to it. And mm-hmm. instead of it just being another kind of line item in your income, you know, when you do a profit and loss or whatever, which is just, it's not fulfilling. It really isn't. Right. That's right. That's right. And so... Uh, It'll be interesting. Well, there's for us. a reason we're making all this money in the first place, right? You know? Exactly, and it taps into that reason, yeah. which is why you're doing it. Yeah. So I don't. I, I want to see how these Facebook ads are going to be setting up and and how they're going to work. I know how they're being set up. I'm not doing it, but um, so I, I have wanna... a couple of questions on that. Can I ask sure. you a couple? Of questions? Yeah. So, so the first question is: Did how much is the better branding course? So it's $280 for the full course or it's $90 just for the, the the ebook version of it. Okay. So my first question is, I think you said the sponsorships was 50 and then the lettering was what, 20, 20 or something? Yeah. So it sounds to me like there's, it's possible, and this is anecdotal because I don't work in this space, but maybe you have more uh, data but it's possible that there is a certain threshold to make this worth it or not, right? So, so we're talking about you know passive income in this case, quote unquote. And it's possible that you're putting in too much effort and not making enough, um, and that your product needs to be priced at a certain place where in order for it to be passive, like you're not in a bunch of Facebook groups, you're not talking to people yep. every single day. So you still want it to be passive, but it's got to be enough passive. Have you, have you tested that or, you know, cause 280 seems a lot better, you know, in my mind yep. than 20. Uh, can you do that with something that's 20? Yeah. So I guess it's the question. Totally. So, uh, this is a, a, a really fun way to, to kind of answer this question. When Caroline first launched her better lettering course in 2014, uh, she always wanted to set it up as a $20 course because she said, this is a hobbyist thing. This is not, you're learning any business stuff. There's no return on investment other than you're just learning a fun skill. Mm. And so, we we had conversations about that. I was like, I think you should charge more. You know, you're you're really going into depth, like the amount of time you put into this. And she was like, No, like I don't believe that. And and we're gonna we're gonna stick to my gut on this one. I was like, Okay, that's fine. And she, you know, that course went on to at its peak make seven thousand dollars a month at, after the first year. That's amazing. Seven thousand dollars a month from a twenty dollar course. Damn. So. It's incredible how if something hits at the right time with the right, um, you know, kind of stars aligning in in SEO stuff or so what happened for us was Pinterest really started to take off Mm. 2013, 2014. It had been around for years, but it just like everyone started moving some attention there. And so Caroline wrote this post that was like three tips to hand lettering for beginners. It started getting just passed around like crazy, like to the tune Mm. of like 10,000 website visitors a month from Pinterest only. And those we just looked at, okay, we're getting all this traffic. We have to build a little funnel where people come in. There's something in here for them to purchase. And we did that and it totally worked. But here's the thing about that situation. It does not last forever. Mm -hmm. And so as I mentioned, you know, that has gone down to selling one or two courses a week, which is no longer even close to that amount of money. But the time that Caroline was putting into the course in the beginning was a lot more than it is now, only because she was, she wanted to reply to everyone's emails. She wanted to answer any questions people had. She was doing Instagram challenges to just keep the momentum going. And 
I think when you are when you're really looking at a passive income product, you have to look at it two different ways. Is this a passive income product where I need to make a lot of money from this because it needs to make money? In that case, it's less passive than people think, although it is mm-hmm. still kind of passive income. Or is this just truly income that I'm making by spending literally no time at all? And if that is, I'm a little bit at the kind of will of what the trends are, what's popular, what's working, what's not working. I can't control everything. I just kind of have to ride a wave. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so to go back to answer your question about pricing, there are there's so many different caveats to this that I don't think there's one answer where you can say, yes, you can sell a, a $300 product or a $500 product per month and it'll sell consistently. Because I've had prices across the board for all of those things. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've never seen in my own personal experience a product above $300 to $500, like anything above $300, I've never seen sell consistently enough without me having to be involved in some way. Got it. Okay. And that's yeah. just my own personal experience. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So it's anecdotal data at this point, but yeah. But I, I'm, I'm curious for, you know, I think it's good to just kind of have a gauge, but also just for my own sake, because I want to start having a couple of courses and my big concern is pricing because I want to make sure that I'm capturing as much from it as I can for the value I'm giving, obviously. But I also um, don't want to put in, you know, my life's work into it, right? Like I I can't be there every single day. I can't answer every single question, that sort of thing. So I do want it to be somewhat passive. And so, uh, you know, I'm trying to learn where those lines are, Mm -hmm. where it's actually worth the effort and time and where it perhaps isn't. So that's kind of interesting. And then my, my other question is, is you have a golden goose, you know, you have wandering aimfully. Um, that's your primary concern right now. Um, that's what you're building and focused on the majority of your time. So how do you decide, um, to instead like that money you're putting in, for instance, to those, uh, Facebook ads, Yep. Like, like, why not put it into Facebook ads for Wandering Aimfully or another advertising or like, why, if the money's the money, the money, right? So like, if you ended up making $15,000 at the end of the year with better branding course uh, versus that $15,000 you made in Wandering Aimfully, is that how you think about it? Like the money's the money, the money, or are you saying, I want to make money over here because fill in the blank? Yeah, really good question. The simple answer is, I know that I have to put in some amount of time for every single Wandering Aimfully member we get. Okay. And also because it's an ongoing subscription payment for them, even now that we've capped it to a lifetime subscription, I have to show up for those people for them to really feel like they're getting the value they were promised for that product. Okay. Because it's not being sold as a, hey, this is a self-paced thing. You go in, you do your own thing. No, this is a, it's a community. I'm here as kind of like the the leader of the group. Mm-hmm. I'm I have to show up for you and and how that kind of breaks down to every person. It's it's hard to really know. All but all I know is I have to show up for pretty much every person, which I'm okay with. I actually enjoy that. Now, the difference between that and Better Branding Course is we don't have to show up at all. It sells on its own. So what the data has told us is in the past two years, that course has made about $20,000 to $30,000 through completely us not even being involved at all means. But, and this goes to your other kind of thought that you were talking about of how much time do I have to put in for a passive income product? I can't show up all the time. 
My firm belief, and this is just what I've seen, is that there is about a, a certain amount of time in the beginning where you do have to show up. So you have to be present, you have to answer emails, you have to talk to customers, you have to figure out all of the edge cases, all the different things so that you can automate it moving forward. Mm -hmm. But everybody wants to automate the passive income thing from the beginning without actually knowing well, what are people actually running into? What problems right. do they have? Where are they stuck? What questions are they asking? And when you get the majority of those that you feel like, okay, I'm not really getting asked any new things. People aren't having any new problems. Now I can actually try and put this on a more passive income source because I know and I did all of the work to figure that out. Mm. And that's what we've done over time with all of these different courses that we've had is that you have to show up and be available to figure it out. And then once you figure it out, you know, okay, cool, I, I can keep moving forward. And we've seen that for some products, that just doesn't work. Like it, it just does not work getting it to a passive income model mm. because the type of thing that you're teaching requires you to show up for someone because it's maybe too complex or the processes that you don't have aren't easy enough for someone to figure out on their own. So very specific example, I had a writing course for helping people become a better writer that's really hard for someone to just do on their own. They mm. need feedback from someone who's better than them to evaluate what they're writing and to mm. tell them, hey, yeah, here's here's the problem that you're having or you're not moving forward. As opposed to Better Branding Course, where we've figured out the processes. Caroline has created all these amazing processes for people that she put into worksheets. Once these people fill out these worksheets, it's like their eyes get opened up. They, they mm. now understand, holy crap, I've been thinking about this all wrong. I know what I'm doing. So... All that to be said, I really do believe you have to invest time up front for a passive income thing to work. You have to have processes that you can teach people that they can learn on their own and they can have realizations from, which I think you do and you've learned over so much experience. So this will work for you. But it is a it is a matter of there is testing and there is, you know, time that you have to figure out. So um that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So I have one final question on that, sure. which is kind of the opposite question then, which is what are the what are the reasons then that you choose to put your time into wandering aimfully as opposed to say doing the reverse, right? So yep. why not put all that time into better branding course if you know it'll work and if you know it makes money? And, and you can kind of put more fuel on the fire, if you will, with more time or more money. So all the money you put into Wandering Aimfully, why not put into the Better Branding course? Uh, also a great question. And the answer is purely out of personal interest. So we've found through trial and error, we get so bored when we're just mm. focusing on trying to grow one asset or one thing and... And it's just like, it's the same repetitive over and over mm. again. It bores us to death. And I think the problem is that we, Caroline and myself, are such creative people. And I, I do actually think you fall into this bucket as well, whether you consider yourself creative or not, in that our brains can't stick with super repetitive work for yeah, long periods right. of time. We we literally just, we we can't do it. Like we start to self-sabotage. We start to, <laughs> you, you really do. And, and we've seen it happen over time. So, I know for kind of this season of our businesses and our lives, Wandering Aimfully is the focus because it's, it's there's so much going on. And even while it can feel a little bit 
you know, I can get dejected when things don't work as much as I thought they would, or we don't get as many new members as I thought we would, or I can get really excited because we've started this new program built without burnout. People are really getting some good value from it. Like those are things that it's like keeping my, that fire going. It's kind of stoking itself gotcha. as opposed to just getting people like into a funnel of selling a thing. It's just not fulfilling. Like it, it as much <laughs> as it's nice to make the money. And I think this is another thing where it's so easy to say this from a place of pray place of privilege it's it really isn't fulfilling like it's really not like if we just doubled the money the better branding course made through doing some extra effort and like writing more articles if we had the option of like you guys could make twice as much money you can make thirty thousand dollars this year but you'd have to write an article every week and after that we would say no thanks it, it's not mm. worth the time because we know the negative long-term effect of how that will just make us feel when we start working on that yeah which is important to identify that and then to seek out things that fulfill that, yeah. fulfill those internal, you know, drivers. And I, I think in there, there was a question or at least a question you alluded to that I did want to bring up was how much money are we willing to spend on this experiment of Facebook ads with better branding course? Yeah, that was my next question. Yeah, My personal kind of number, and this is also with talking to the guy who is running the Facebook ads, who knows everything and is really smart with this stuff, is a thousand bucks. So I'm willing a, a to spend- month? Just just in, in the first initial setup and spend. To learn. Yeah. To learn. Because okay. what we should know is in spending that amount of money, we'll have tested multiple ads, multiple audiences, multiple uh, positioning. And if we're not seeing a consistent, you know, one of those dollars brings in $2 or $5 or any money, then it's probably never going to work. Hmm. Or if it is, it's going to take more money than we're willing to quote unquote, throw away to figure it out. And gotcha. and again, that just goes back to the, it's like, I'm not interested enough to continue to work through that to figure it out and to like come out the other side making a little bit more money for the amount of like, ugh, like now I'm up to $2,000 and we haven't figured this out. You know, like it's just going right. to stress me out more than it's going to be really interesting for me. So what's your timeline on that thousand? Do you have a sense of I actually, you know. I actually think we're going to be close to it here in the next week or so. We, oh, okay. I just saw an email. We've spent, I think, $500 total. And last I talked to the guy, we're kind of doing like bi-weekly calls. He was going to ratchet up the daily spend. So okay. we were spending $10 at max before and we were barely hitting that. And I think he bumped it up to like 50 bucks a day. So right. we should be nice. able to, to burn through that pretty quickly and start seeing some results. Um, the tricky thing is, and, and I'll just touch on this for one second because this is, you know, this could really get into the weeds is there are so many variables with Facebook ads. Yeah. So yeah. that's that's the thing where it's like you can play all the how well does this ad convert to the thing you want it to do, which is for us get someone to sign up for the email list on the Better Branding Course website. But then from there, you also have the variables of what does the email course do? How long mm -hmm. is it? How much is the pitch? How much is the offer? Well, you know, there's like there's almost too much information to try and sort through when if it's not your full-time thing that you're really jazzed and excited about. Yeah. You know, for me, it's like I'm willing to spend $1,000 to try and increase the existing funnel that we have that we know works. And I don't want to rebuild everything that we've already built because that stuff, it, it it's no longer than a passive income thing. I'm starting over with now I have to invest all this time I don't right. want to invest all that time. That time is better spent toward other things because then it almost becomes like a, I could spend 40 hours on this, but I could net no return or I could spend mm -hmm. 40 hours on wandering aimfully and ensure that I'm going to get a couple more customers, retain a couple customers and actually like enjoy that work. 
That makes perfect sense. Well, we'll see if you move the needle Ooh. in the next couple of weeks. See what I did there? Nicely done, man. You you are on this podcasting thing. <laughs> this is regular host over here. <laughs> uh, all right, so let's. Do you want to touch on business real estate stuff, or do you want to save that for another no, episode? No, we'll save we'll save that okay. for another time. Um, do you want to talk about anything that's moving the needle in your life? Just um, I, I just. Uh, want to talk, give an update on the, um, sleeping situation. So as you know, a couple episodes back, uh, you, I was asking you, what do you do to sleep better? You know, I had kind of done all the basic stuff. You recommended a face mask, yes. an eye mask. Yes. So, uh, so I got one and I've now worn it for four days, I think four, five, five days. Yep. And uh, all I know is at this point, I put it on. <laughs> it does help from the standpoint that, of course, everything goes black. And what I found is, is I have all this kind of ambient light in my room. It's mm. not, you know, it's not a specific light, but it's just like coming from my Sono speaker yep, yep. or coming from, you know, just various things that are in the room just kind of give a little bit of light. So it's been nice to be like dark, you know? Yep. However, I wake up without the mask on. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I have no idea when I take it off Interesting. at this point. But I've yet to wake up with the mask on. Like a full and I don't night. Know, yeah. And I don't know if that's normal. Like, do you end up keeping it on for a full night or is it just to try to like get you to sleep? Or I don't, I don't know what the strategy is there. Because obviously once you're asleep, you don't need a mask on. But I, I, somehow I'm taking it off. Huh. So, um, and I'm not, and, and I'm not sleeping all the way through the night. So, you know, somewhere I'm taking it off and then I wake up at like three in the morning and I'm like, oh, you know, I'm not wearing the mask anymore. So, and then I'm like, you know, trying to find the damn thing. So, <laughs> so now I'm, you know, raising my stress levels, trying to search for the damn mask somewhere. Um, oh. but so, so at this point, you know, I'm staying the course. So I'm going to stay the course. I'm going to see where this goes. All right. But uh, uh, I don't, I think it is helping from the standpoint that I'm not laying there with all this extra light, you know, hitting me, yeah. which is nice um, because that was getting annoying. And I was doing all kinds of funky things of like, you know, I was putting a scarf over my Sonos, yep, yep, you yep. know, speaker and, you know, all this crazy stuff to try to block out these little lights everywhere. So now I don't have to worry about that, which is great. Um, and I'm going to sleep well, but, uh, somehow, (laughs) somehow I'm fed up with the mask at some point in the middle of the night. So I love it. So that's my update. I'm sticking to it. I'm going to stick to it for at least two more weeks. And, you know, I want a long enough timeline to change habits, you know, with it and see, see what happens. So we'll see where we end up. Okay. I, I love the update. I'm excited. And any update on bobcat sightings? Have we had any? I mean, obviously your eyes are closed at night, but any before that? <laughs> no bobcat sightings, only annoying birds okay. um, and a couple of snakes outside. All right. Okay. All right. Uh, for me, so uh, I, I mentioned that I've been doing the stationary bike at my desk. There's really no update with that just because that's already a habit. And I am thoroughly enjoying that. Like I continue to do that. But I did want to talk about one that I think is very apropos to this episode, which is, so every morning that I um, I get up, I do like five to 10 minutes of Instagram in bed. I allow myself only Instagram. I don't look at anything else. I don't check email. I don't look at Twitter, none of those things. And it's just because it's like beautiful pictures and people's lives. I'm like, oh, this is cool how this person's living in New Zealand or whatever. And I get out of bed and then I make 
a handcrafted cup of coffee and breakfast. And handcrafted. A little, like a little. So I, I actually do a, like a full pour over of coffee. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. I love the Fellow Products home pour mm-hmm. over system. I believe it's the Stag pour over system. Mm-hmm. And I have their kettle and I've got their big pour over carafe and I have their glass. Uh, wow. And I've, I've really enjoyed that. But I will say, um, and, and I like it because it's, it's almost like my morning meditation. And, and I, I've never been someone who like, has gotten into meditation. I've tried it just a couple times and it's just like my mind races, which probably means I need to meditate more. <laughs> but I, this morning practice for me has created such a good morning ritual that always starts my day off on a good foot. But I've mm-hmm. realized there's a missing piece to it. And that is when I go to a coffee shop and like Youngblood would probably be a good example of this, I love the way that they do pour over in the store. So you usually get like some type of cool coffee serving tray, like a little vessel you drink out of and like a little pouring device. And it's this little experience, right? And it feels really fun and and, and different. And I kept asking myself like, well, why don't I just do this at home? Like, why don't I up my, I'm already like a coffee snob at home. Why don't I go next level? So Caroline actually reached out to a local woodworker who made me a little pour over tray because they were impossible to find. Like she looked everywhere. So I just got it two days ago and he actually, he's like such a nerd woodworker. He was like, "Uh, you need to let the resin sit for 36 hours because it's not like if it gets any water, it's going to stain. And like the way he did the cutout for the coffee, like where the coffee little vessel actually sits. Cause it's not, a, I don't use a mug. It's a little like ceramic vessel that we bought. Um, he made the grain look the exact same as like the top grain. Oh, it's just like so over the top. Um, so, good. so I have yet, uh, tomorrow is my first day using it. I'm really excited, oh, nice. but it's going to be, I've got the little, little Hario glass pour over guy, which is like a little cool serving thing. Uh, we found this uh, potter on it, on Etsy that Caroline bought me two little vessels, coffee vessels. And so tomorrow I will have my first like super snobby coffee pour over yes. experience. Yes. But I'm I'm curious to see, my, this is my hypothesis I want to test. Yeah. Is it any different bringing that experience into my home as opposed to just like the normal like drinking out of a cup after I've made the coffee by hand? as opposed to how good I feel when I drink it at a coffee shop. And is it going to taint the experience? I'm actually interested in this experience. First of all, you've become full-blown coastal California. Oh, 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 yeah. We talk about this all the time. There are so many other things I could bring up about this. Like, just like a ridiculous, like, I'll be walking and I'll see a piece of plastic, like, not just in front of me, like, deep in a bush, and I go and get it. And I'm just like, (laughs) I have to. Like, I I can't let this get to the ocean. And I'm, like, two miles from the ocean, (laughs) but I'm, like, digging through because I just like I can't let this plastic be like it's little things like that like I'm so crunchy granola now also speaking oh of my God. I buy oat free granola like I can't have granola <laughs> my granola can't have oats in it I don't want that I, I want oh like God. you know it needs to be like hemp seeds and all that. Oh, this is so good I'm convinced that one of these days I'm going to call you and you're going to be like yeah Caroline and I just, we just eat soil now. Oh, totally. Yeah. Just, we, just to- like just right out of the ground. We live in soil, soil. We bathe in soil. We yes, eat the soil. Yes. Like it's just like a holistic one experience. So that part is great to watch you go from Floridian yes. to full blown Californian. You yes. know, that, that's been fun over these last several years. So that's one. Two, I actually, uh, this reminds me a lot kind of of what I was doing with my oatmeal, remember? I do. So I I wanted to bring that up uh, because that was an inspiration for me for a while uh, of like, I was shortchanging the hell out of my oatmeal experience every morning. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Like I had those little cups. No, 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 no. Almond milk in it. You did not have cups. You had ramekins. You had legitimate... (laughs) 
uh, oatmeal accessory ramekins where they were, and it wasn't like, oh, I'm just going to put some nuts. No, 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 no. This was, oh, it was blanched and sliced almonds was one of them. I remember because I made the oatmeal one day when I was visiting yeah, you. you. did. You did. Uh, brown sugar was in one. Yep. Maple syrup yep. was in another. <laughs> and then I, I don't think there was anything else. Oh, blueberries. The almond milk. Oh, well, yeah, the almond milk. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I think there were literally four ramekins per per oatmeal order. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, So you had this nice little bowl. Yeah. And then you had the four ramekins. So I'm all on board on this, first of all. Second of all, I hope no one that I know listens to this episode. (laughs) And (laughs) And finds out, like, your oatmeal habits. Do you still, are you still in this oatmeal life? Uh, No, I haven't really, I can't really eat oatmeal anymore Mm. uh, for various health reasons. So I haven't been able to do that, unfortunately. But that brings me to my other thing, which is, like, I have this major conflict internally about stuff like this where, and I talk to my mom about this all the time because of how I grew up and how she grew up. Right. My mom has, like, it never occurs to her to make the experience better. Yep. The experience is just what the experience is, right? So if you're drinking coffee out of a plastic cup, that was reheated, well, then you're drinking coffee out of a plastic cup that was reheated. Shut up and drink the coffee. Yeah. Right? But, like, it never occurs to her. Like, oh, I could put it in this or put it in that or pour it this way or pour it. It just never enters her realm of thought, right? And so when she stays with me, of course, (laughs) I am constantly thinking about how to improve everything. Yep. Right. To to improve it, not for the sake of production, but for the sake of quality of life. Yep. Right. So so if I'm eating breakfast and I'm like, what, wait a minute, why am I not eating on my patio? This is dumb. Yep. Right. It's perfectly nice day outside. I should be eating on my patio or, you know, whatever it might be, the ramekins for the oatmeal. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. So so I'm totally conflicted about this because I think. It's so snobbish, like it's so obnoxiously privileged to do things like that on one hand and where I come from and where my mom comes from. It just seems so over the top. <laughs> it, I mean, so I have this internal conflict because I'm constantly trying to do stuff like that. And yet at this very same time, I feel like such a jackass doing stuff like that. I've never been able to reconcile that in my 40 years on this earth. But nonetheless, I keep going the direction of I want it to be better. So I'm all in on this. Yeah. You know, I I think, and we don't have to harp on this too long, but I do think the like internal struggle of like, this is like such a privileged thing that I get to be able to do this. I think that that is a little bit more easily swayed from your mind, and this is at least the way that I think about it and have thought about it, is that if I'm a good person and I'm taking care of other people in other ways or I'm doing other just charitable things, and I don't necessarily mean that just in donations, but also just in like being a good person and being thoughtful in life, then it's okay if I take some of these experiences for myself and actually go like way overboard. Because I feel like it evens out. You know, it'd be different if it was just like Dave Chappelle on the MTV Cribs episode where he's just like the biggest douche of all time. And it's, you know, you're never giving back to anybody. You're never doing anything. And I kind of feel like it's the way that I reconcile some of this where, sure, I could just not have my coffee in this experience that I love. But also, what's the point of living and having coffee then? You know, like I I don't have any interest in just heating it up in an automatic coffee maker and being like, well, this is going to get me through the morning. It's like, no, I, why not have an amazing day? Because tomorrow I could die. And that actually, you know, it's funny. It goes back to that little phrase that I said of live for today, save for tomorrow. It's like, if I was to die tomorrow, I'd like to think I did a pretty good job living my life yesterday to the fullest that I could live it in a daily life amount. And that mm-hmm. also means 
enjoying the things and experiences, but being a good person and being thoughtful and digging into the bush for a piece of plastic and, you know, like that type of stuff, I think it, it, I don't know, it makes those situations for me a little less snobbish and douchey when they can come off that way and you can think about them that way. I don't know, that's just the way that I, I've been thinking about it. Hey, whatever it takes to have <laughs> cognitive dissonance, you know, and yeah. buy into your own stuff. I like it. I'm yeah. on board. I'm curious to see, though, if this experience is the same. I do wonder, because I think there's other elements of a coffee shop like that that you're describing that I'm not sure you can capture by yourself. A hundred percent agree. And that's what I'm most curious about. Yep. hundred percent agree with you. And I actually wonder too, is, is this going one step too far where it may be too much that I'm doing in the morning where it takes me yeah, out of the like, job. exactly like, Oh yeah. great. Now I'm like a barista for myself and I'm an asshole <laughs> right. and like, I don't tip and like, you know, it's just like, what am I doing? <laughs> Uh, so we'll see. But anyway, I, I think it'll be oh, fun it. just to tweak that. So I'll, I'll try and keep some notes about how I feel about it these these first couple of days and um, give a pour over snobby coffee update for everybody. Yes, yes, I love it. All right, well, another episode of Move the Needle. Hope uh, you listeners enjoyed that. If you made it this far, congratulations. Uh, you have an amazing attention span. And uh, for some reason, you enjoy listening to us this far. Uh, if you want to support the show in some way, uh, I don't think we're ever going to have sponsors or anything like that. So your support would be amazing. And you could do that by going to our Patreon page. No, I'm kidding. Uh, you can do that just by <laughs> leaving a review on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, whatever it's called, uh, clicking a couple stars, however you think it earned. It actually does help, especially for a new show like this one to get more people to find it and uh, for it to show up in search. So yeah, do that. We would appreciate it. And uh, we appreciate you listening. Yes. Thank you so much. Until next time. <laughs>